There's a spiritual war that's going on for our communities. It's a war between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And God wants to equip us to be His occupying force in our communities. Join in today to learn more. Today we're going to talk about a force to be reckoned with. We're going to look at the first biblical example of darkness at its worst. So if you have your Bible, you can go there with me. We're in Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. Now it came about when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. You're familiar with this story, especially afterwards, because we recognize at that point that God released a flood upon the whole earth. What had taken place here in this passage of Scripture was that when there was then this mixture of seed that came forth from the sons of God into the daughters of men, then however many years it was, everything on earth had become defiled. Everything at that point had become a place of wickedness. And then God comes in with a flood. So we recognize that there was a very wicked occupation that had taken over all of planet Earth at that point. And so for it to be cleansed, for there to be a reset, for there be an opportunity for God and his people to begin to occupy again, God released that flood. You know the story, he said afterwards, after the flood, that he would never do it that way again in terms of a flood, but he never changed his mind in terms of the purpose for his people to be occupying planet Earth. In Hebrew legends, it talks about this particular spot where this oath was made by the Nephilim to go into the daughters and to have children with them. And it's believed that that's Mount Hermon. And if you go today, even to the top of the mount, there is a stone there that has the inscription that in our language says it's the place where they had taken the oath. And so that's very significant that that happened there and that God chose right after they decided to come together and make an alliance with one another that he said, uh-uh, this is done and I'm putting an end to this. So after the flood was over, then when Noah and his three sons come out of the ark with their wives, then this is what God says to Noah in this chapter 9 of Genesis. He said, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky. 
with everything that creeps on the ground, all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are given. So once again, even after we see this massive occupation of darkness, then God comes in because he recognizes man's not capable of doing anything about this. So God comes in, he does this great reset of the whole planet, and Noah finds favor in God's eyes, and you know the story, he built an ark. So after this, when he comes out, what does God do? He goes back to his original intent, almost uses the exact same language he used with Adam and Eve, that now I want you to rule, I want you to subdue, I want you to occupy. And so we learned through the scriptures that Noah's sons all had different perspectives on what righteousness was. And as they went out into the lands where Noah sent them, some were righteous and some were not. We'll get into that in another podcast. But over the generations, specifically from Ham, his son, there was much wickedness that took place. So Ham had remembered the things of the Nephilim, remembered the things of the wicked ones, and he walked in a life of enchantment. He walked in a life of usurping. He, he was not a righteous man, and therefore his offspring, as they populated the earth, brought a cult still into the earth realm. They were an evil occupying force. So this force never did go away, even though the flood wiped out the, the place where they took the oath and wiped out the, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it wiped out the nest that they had created of spiritual activity, but still it was a seed that needed to be contended with. So now we're going to fast forward into the book of Matthew and look at how Jesus, the ultimate occupying force, came in and decided to really reverse what happened in that place of the oath. So in Matthew 16, 13 to 20, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist and others Elijah but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now this is a power-packed passage. And we will spend a lot of time over the next few weeks talking about this passage. But for today, I want to focus on several different things. The first one is the location of where they were. They came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. This is a place that uh, were the headwaters of the Jordan River, and it flowed into the seas of Galilee. It's also located in the Bashan territory at the base of Mount Hermon. And its original name was Baal Gad or Baal Hermon, and it was a Canaanite sanctuary. It was called Panium or Panius after the god Pan. So it's important to point that this was Canaanite territory, which means this came from Ham's bloodline. And so they were occupied there, a cult was very big, and by the time Jesus was on the scene, there were all kinds of gods and goddesses that were worshipped. At this particular location, Mount Hermon, there was a temple to Caesar, a temple to Paneus, and so it was a crazy place for them to be. Now, Hermon, if we look at the definition of that and the name of this mount, 
It means to separate something from its natural economy and consign it to the afterlife. So it was a place, a certain place that was dedicated to that that had to deal with death and the dead. Hence the end of the passage in Matthew talks about the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's because that was all in this geographical location. So powerful. And those of you that are listening today, this particular passage, you know, it says upon this rock and we, myself included. I mean, we preached it. In other words, the rock that he's talking about in regards to Peter, but what was it? It, it was a, a rock of revelation. In other words, revelation of who the Son of Man really is, being the Son of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of it. The other is the rock has to do with Peter being an apostle, and that meaning that he's going to build the church upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. Right. But as we were studying this years back and recognizing that he was even talking about the geographical location of where he was standing, then it opened up another whole door, especially in regards to occupation. Mm -hmm. So a very place where there had been massive occupation of darkness, there had been this display of an oath made by what we call fallen lower gods, then Jesus comes right to that spot and says, I'm about to set things back in order to what my father originally intended, that now this geographical spot, which, which has to do with not just that spot, but has to do with, because he says, gates of hell. So the very spot where there was a, uh, the people that lived during that time recognized Mount Hermon, they recognized Caesarea Philippi and recognized it was a place where almost like a portal for the demonic. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus comes and stands right on that spot and makes this proclamation. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And once again, we recognize who's going to build it. He's going to build it. He, he was the, you know, we, God was the original occupier, but then Jesus comes and becomes the eternal occupier of those things because God never changed his mind. The earth belongs to the Lord. Now, perhaps you heard us talk about the, the Nephilim and they were giants of stature and they still existed past the time of the flood. And, you know, we mentioned that, but if you look back in scripture, we look at the Anakim, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Emim, and the Zamzumim in Scripture. They were all giant in stature, and they all lived throughout that Mesopotamian area. So there were giant strongholds that were in this place. And if you remember, you know, David went up against Goliath, and what was Goliath? But uh, he was, was a, a giant. giant. And then you look at when they were going to take the promised land and they went to go spy it out. And Joshua and Caleb were like, we can go in there. But the other 10 spies were like, heck no, we're not going. There's giants in the land. So they were still occupying the earth in different places as clans. And they had their own little places of occupation. And the Israelites were constantly having to deal with them. And so now when you go back and you read those scriptures, you're going to recognize what was God doing. God was saying, no, the earth is mine. In places, it's still polluted. There's still seed war going on. You're going to go in there and you're going to begin to force them out. And, and, and so you'll see that all the way through scripture, that he's assigning them geographical territories 
that were not given to the enemy, but the enemy illegally went in there and began to take possession and occupy. And so it's fascinating when you understand this. Okay, why is God sending them into those places? Why, why is he, he calls for a wipeout like he did in the flood. Mm -hmm. He calls for the same kind of wipeout. And it's not because he doesn't love people. It's because, no, that that defiled, that, that place of darkness, that place that continues to release darkness so that his light can't shine. He says, no, I want you to go in there and displace it. So here, the one who has the keys to Hades goes and tells his guys there on the mountain, listen, we're having a shift. We're having a transfer of who is occupying this mountain. Because what had occupied up to this point was the hell and the death structure. It was the gate to hell was what it was known as. So it was believed that the Raphim and, and the giant structure, that they all dwelled underground, that they had an underworld that was going on. And so Jesus is like, I'm dealing with this structure and it's coming down. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am not death. And we're going to have a transfer of who's in charge in this location. And so we, we run into those things today. In other words, no matter how you see it, you recognize that there's a constant fight between that which is dark and that which is light. Mm -hmm. You know, that which is, is controlled by the enemies of God, Satan, and then that which is being occupied and, and stewarded by then God and those that are part of his team, whether we're talking about angels, we're talking about people. And so you see the struggle constantly. So I, I want to read a quote from Michael Heiser in his book, Reversing Herman. And he says this, he says, Jesus picks Mount Herman to reveal to Peter, James, and John exactly who he is. The embodied glory essence of God, the divine name made visible in incarnation. The meaning is just as transparent. I'm putting the hostile powers of the unseen world on notice. I've come to earth to take back what is mine. The kingdom of God is at hand. Yes. What a powerful display that took place there. So even when he said, you know, on this rock, I will build my church. He said, no, no, there's been a temple structure. There's been a death structure that's been ruling in this territory. And I say no more. It's time for me to rule in this land. So as we move forward, we're going to begin to see a whole different definition of, of what church is. Because when you read it there, he will build his church. Everything about what was going on was a church that occupies. And to occupy meant, you, hey, you love gathering together. You love fellowshipping. But no, you got to come out of the walls. Look at what's going on around you in your communities and say, now, wait a minute. Just like God said. God said, now, wait a minute. This is not right. So I'm going to come in and do something about it. And then even with what Jesus did, then he begins to release that same authority and power to go into places and say enough is enough. So it's time for the territory to change. It was time for it to shift. Yes. And he made that declaration and there they were. There they were. And so we're going to then share illustrations in modern day of how we've seen those things take place. And one of those that we're going to share today comes from the Sentinel group, George Otis. And this is about a story 
that took place in the mountains of central Appalachia, Clay County. Some of you may have heard of it. Anyway, it had history of its own in terms of Daniel Boone and that kind of thing. But what had happened then in the late 1900s is that it became a place where there was vicious feuds. So there was bloodshed going on all the time. There was crushing poverty. There was persuasive corruption and epic drug abuse. And people were moving out of there as fast as they could. In the early 2000s, they're like, we're getting out of here. It's like crimes here. And so they were looking, look, there's got to be greener pastures somewhere. And then what happened is, is a group of believers recognized what was going on and they pulled together. The name of the city is Manchester. You, you can look it up. And what they did in 2004, people in the community and different churches, not just one church, recognized what was going on and they began to pray together. Now, whether they knew it in the beginning, then as they moved forward, their prayers became strategic. The Holy Spirit led them in the prayers that they should pray. And so we began to see a unity. So if we talk about cultural transformation, occupying, it's going to take not just one, a unity of the believers in God. And so here in Manchester, they begin to come together and they begin to pray together. And then pastors start meeting together and they start looking at what's going on. And in their prayers, they begin to pray. And what happened, and you, you can watch the video, you can go to the website, uh, George Otis's website, and you can watch the video. But what happened is, is corrupt people that were in politics, corrupt people that were in the police and those departments, they began to get busted. So they began to be removed. And when they were removed, then these people began to vote in people that were not controlled by darkness. They began to vote them in there. And the place began to change. Another testimony about it is it was known for hunting. And so they would go into that. It was part of their food. It wasn't just, you know, doing it for the game of it. And all the deer were disappearing. When this took place in 2004 and later, the very livestock, the deer and everything started coming back again. Wow. So what are we talking about? Darkness was there. Then all of a sudden the people of God recognized the darkness and say enough. Enough is enough. And God's already saying enough is enough. And they took it on and they began to spiritually, by prayer, intercession, by praise, by being unified, began to drive darkness out and there became a manifestation of his light. And so still going on today. Now, one of the things that you'll see in it is as soon as if we talk about seats of authority, every community has seats of authority. Well, when people of righteousness fill those seats of authority, then the ability to occupy for light is there. When those seats are changed, then you've got another fight on your hands. So that's something that we need to learn in this as we move forward, because you, you will have testimonies for you where this kind of thing has taken place, but then all of a sudden darkness creeps back in because some person of influence or whatever seats in, in an office, and then he's got more partnering with God to do to annihilate that darkness. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not talking about a hatred for people. You've got to separate the two. 
And, I, and that you got to separate the two, even when you see how God operated in the, in the Old Testament. It wasn't a hatred for people. It was a, a recognizing that because of the pollution, the darkness, the wickedness, the, they were captivated by, by spirits of you know, wickedness. Then they, those spirits of wickedness had to be driven out. So once again, we've enjoyed our time with you today, and uh, we look forward to being with you again. Thank you for tuning in to Occupying Force. We're glad that you joined us today. To learn more about the ministry of Richard and Kimberly Wilson, go to www.occupyingforce.org. And don't forget to subscribe. You can do that at cpnshows.com. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us.